Amen. Back in 2008, Michael Monsoor, part of the Navy SEAL team, was in a tough situation with the SEAL team surrounded by terrorists. His Navy SEAL buddies were just inside a door. He could have ran in and probably saved his life, but when the grenade landed before him, it meant his buddies would die. So what did he do? He jumped on the grenade. His One of his uh, Navy SEAL comrades talked about that's just kind of the kind of guy Michael was. His high school built a new stadium, football stadium, and they named it the Michael Monsoor Stadium after him. And the one we worship here today, he took the grenade for all of us, Jesus Christ. And, and I want to continue on in this study of John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 35 through 42 this morning. I want to ask if you will turn to that section of scripture, stand in God's honor, and I want to read the text. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, then he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please take away anything that would block your presence. Any reason to grieve your spirit. Because we need you to speak. Lord, if I speak, it's just words. But if the Spirit of God speaks, that changes everything. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, be among us, Lord. As Samantha sang, we're reminded of how you chase us down. And, Lord, your wonderful way, um, the cross is just evidence of how great your love is. Father, as we look at your word today, speak beyond what I say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Vance Havner was an evangelist of, oh, I'm not even sure how long ago now, maybe 50 years. But he had a wonderful way with words. And uh, just a, a powerful, no-nonsense kind of guy. He used to go to Maggie Valley, North Carolina. And he had a cabin up there. And he would love to study and to craft his messages that he would take to churches and I just got thinking about old Havner and I looked up a couple of quotes about being a disciple that I want to start off with this morning 
basically, guys, to be a disciple just means I'm all in. Okay, but anyway, here's some of his quotes. If you are a Christian, you are not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven making your way through this world. Here's another one. Where are the marks of the cross in your life? Are there any points of identification with your Lord? Alas, too many Christians wear medals but carry no scars. It's one thing to say Jesus is all you want until he is all you have and you discover he is all you ever needed. And then one last one. Christmas is based on an exchange of gifts. The gift of God to man, his unspeakable gift of his son, and the gift of man to God when we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. You need to be all in. And we're going to look at five characteristics in this message this morning of how God works in our lives to bring us to himself. Uh, number one is realignment. Look with me at verse 35 here of our text, that, that first verse. He, he says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. These were two guys that were plugged into John the Baptist. They were impressed and they were moved when they heard John speak. And they wanted to be like John. They were following John. But something had happened. They, they had been moved when they heard John speak about Jesus. And they were hungry and they were interested in Jesus Christ. Notice as, as the text continues it tells us when he saw Jesus passing by it's John he said look the Lamb of God when the two disciples heard him say this they followed Jesus there has to be a realignment look guys I guess we all have our preferences of preachers uh, that we like to listen to or teachers that just hit us in the right place. And so we want to listen to these people who are gifted of God. Um, this week, Timothy Keller died, one of the preachers I've enjoyed listening to and Cindy has enjoyed listening to. Um, there are others. I, I know a neighbor of ours that had moved. Uh, he was a pastor and his wife was a, the music leader and church they served uh, and uh, I know she loved Stephen Furtick and uh, a lot of people like his ministry and then of course there are those that follow Joel Osteen that massive church and then there are those who love to listen to Andy Stanley and I mean I could go on and these people are gifted and God has blessed them with a, with a gift to be able to speak but the point is, you don't follow the messenger. You follow the message. Your life has to be realigned. Jesus has to be the target. That's where you're all in. Not, not the messenger, 
not with what I may say, but what does Jesus say? Who is Jesus Christ? That is the point. That is the one that we're to be sold out to. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Um, after this section of Scripture, John the Baptist, his prominence in the story decreases. You really don't hear about the guy. Chapter 3, he has a brief cameo. And in that brief cameo, he says, He must become greater. I must become less. He said, I'm not even unworthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. Man, you can't help but love John the Baptist because he was a guy who was getting all this attention and yet he directed the attention to where it needed to be. That's the heart of a disciple. So it's no wonder to me why they wanted to follow Jesus. Man, who is this guy? that John, who is so gifted, would say, don't follow me, follow him. And, and that moves us to evaluation. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it tells us, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Take the test. Do you not realize that you're in the faith unless, of course, you fail the test? There needs to be an honest evaluation and and I want you to notice in verse 38, it tells us, Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? You know, you realize it's interesting, in the book of John, this is the first time that Jesus speaks. First time recorded of his ministry in the gospel according to John that Jesus speaks. And he says, What do you want? He asked a question. Now, do you think he asked the question, what do you want, because he didn't know what they wanted? No. He is God and he knows all things. He doesn't ask us questions because he's stumped for the answer and wants us to fill him in on the truth. He asks us questions because he wants to change us. He wants us to think. He wants to work in our lives. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting as you look through the scriptures and see how God asked questions. In Genesis chapter 3, he said, Adam, where are you? You really think God was saying, oh, well, I wonder what happened to Adam. I've lost him. No. He was trying to make Adam think, Adam, man, what, what are you doing? Where, where are you? Don't you remember who I am? What has happened to you, Adam? Think about it. Jesus asked these guys, what are you seeking? In Matthew 16, he gathers the disciples together. And he says, who do other people say that I am? Well, he got some answers. And then he turns to the guys and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus was making it clear. He was going straight to what mattered most. Guys, who do you say? that I am, not what other people say, because this, this is a matter between you and the Father. Who do you say I am? Then there's the guy that was at the pool of Bethsaida. He was paralyzed. And Jesus asked him an interesting question. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Now, that almost sounds a little degrading. It's like, 
Do you really want to be healed? That's not the point, though. Jesus was really saying to him, think about this. Do you want to be made whole? I mean, he had grown accustomed to getting attention. He had grown accustomed to being a beggar. He had become accustomed to others waiting upon him. This is going to totally change your life. Are you sure that you really want this? Do you know what you're getting into? Do you really want to be made whole? And then there was Peter. Remember Peter, he had screwed up royally. (laughs) Jesus reinstated him with a question. Peter, do you love me? I mean, he ended up repeating that three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you have anybody in your life to ask you the hard questions? Who loves you enough to nail you? (laughs) To just be straight with you? And what a gift if you have that. This is what the Holy Spirit does, guys. This is Jesus at work. He asks us a penetrating question where we can't hide. There's nowhere to hide. He wants us to deal with what the issue is. He wants the truth to come out so that we can be healed. I think it was Socrates who said the unexamined life is not worth living. To be all in means we have to examine these areas of our lives that are not sold out, that have been put ahead of Jesus, have been put ahead of God our Savior. So when Jesus asked the question to these disciples, what do you seek? Guys, what do you really want? Why are you here? He's pushing down to them. There are some people, if you ask them that question, they say, I just want to be happy. Man, I, you know, I've said so many times, uh, talking to Alan Jones one day, a lot of stuff going on in their family, and Alan said to me, he said, man, I just want a drama-free life. Wouldn't we all love to have that? I don't know anybody that has a drama-free life. I'm sure if I talk to you guys long enough, all you guys could lay out a drama for me that's going on in your lives. So, to be totally happy, that is not the way life works all the time, is it? Or others would say success. Man, I just want to be successful. Well, that can be a moving target, whatever that is. Uh, Here's another one. It may be, well, I'm just looking for a, a spouse. Somebody to take care of me, you know? That wife or that husband or that person that I, I so need. And yet what God ultimately wants us to ask is, Lord, I need you in my life. Will you heal me? Will, will you love me? Will you meet me where I need you, Lord? A.W. Tozer, in his wonderful book, The Pursuit of God, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. it, it you know, it's, you do have to, it's, it, it's a little deep, you have to get in there a little bit, but man, it's, it's worth reading. Here's a quote from Tozer. Complacency is a deadly enemy of spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. 
He wants to be wanted. It's too bad that with many of us, he waits so very long and in vain. Evaluation. Hey, do you have the courage? Psalm 139, what a wonderful psalm. And I love the way it ends in verses 23 and 24 in the good old King James, King Jimmy version. He said, David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, what an, what an evaluation. God, I'm giving you permission to whack me upside the head and show me where I need to deal with my stuff. Search me, oh God. Know me. Try me. Know my thoughts. If there's a wicked way in me, Lord, I want to be able to confess it. So let me see it, Lord. Let me not be blind to it. All right, let's move on to the third one here. Submission. We submit to God when we're serious, when we're all in. Verse 39 of our text. Come, he replied. <laughs> Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. What do you want? Lord, we just want to see where you were staying. He tells them to come and see. It's interesting, that word staying is a word that we'll see later on in John 15, where Jesus says to um, his disciples, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, you will, you will get whatever you ask What. And so the, the point there is, uh, to, or to abide, or to remain, it is to stay there with God. To let Him work in you and not rebel against Him and to be submissive to Him in following Him. Uh, here's the text itself from John 15. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what's Jesus say? Jesus is not giving them a classic sermon of information. Well, here's my five points, and if you follow these five points, <clears throat> you'll be good. That's not his point. He says, come, hang out with me. R remain with me. Abide with me. Come with me, and you will see. Guys, I, I looked at this section of Scripture, uh, verse 39, it says, it was about the tenth hour. Notice it says they spent the day with him. I'm thinking, why is it the 10th hour? Some commentators had said, well, you know, that's when this started. And then he went, they went with Jesus. And, but it says he spent the whole day with him. So what is this 10th hour thing? I'll tell you what I think it is. Some, it says about 4 o'clock in some translations. I think that what happened is they spent the day with Jesus. 
And this guy, about 4 o'clock, he finally got it. You know? He finally saw who he was looking at. Something, it was the epiphany. You know? You are the one. You are, you are the one. And he submitted himself. I love it. You, you know, Jesus had said, come and see. And then you look at the next part of that verse. It says, so they went and saw. Jesus said, come and see. So they went and saw. That is what it means to be a disciple. Lord, I don't really know where I'm going, but I'm going to follow you. <laughs> and as I come and see, I'll be able to say, I came and saw. That's, that's what it means to, to follow Him, to abide with Him, to remain in Him. Um, Luke 6.46 says, Lord, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? He's going to point his question to Jesus. Why do I call you Lord, Lord, and not do the things you say? Here he goes again. <laughs> John 14, 21, he says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So how do we love Jesus? How do we follow Jesus? By obeying him. By submitting our lives to him. By surrender. That's how it works. Here's another quote by old Vance Havner. No man can be a Christian by knowingly and willfully taking Christ on the installment plan as Savior now and Lord later. What our Lord said about cross-bearing and obedience is not in fine type. It is in bold print on the face of the contract. I love that. Bold print on the face of the contract. Uh there's a story about a little goat who wanted to be a lion. So he decided, uh, first thing I need to do is know how to walk like a lion, then I'll learn how to talk like a lion, and then I'll be able to hang out with the lions. So he practiced his walking like a lion. Are you kidding me? That fluffy little tail in the back, that little skinny goat body. Oh, come on, you know. He tried to walk like a lion, but it was kind of ridiculous, right? So next... He decided he was going to practice roaring like a lion. Get that lion roar down. But unfortunately, whenever he tried to let out an impressive lion roar, it was a, you know, it just didn't, it wasn't lion-like. But he thought he was doing a pretty good job. So he said, okay, I've got it down. I can walk like a lion. I can talk like a lion. Now, I'm going to go hang out with the lions. So, that next day, about noon, he headed toward the lions with his impressive lion walk, and then he let out his impressive lion roar. <clears throat> end of goat, end of story. Because the goat was not a lion. And I fear that there are some people who say, I am a Christian, but man, they haven't examined what they are saying. They come to church occasionally, maybe quite often, 
do they take Luke 6.46 to heart? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Submission. Submission to him. Okay. Next. Uh, let's move on to the fourth one, which is mission. Verses 40 and 41 of our text. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Now, you know, it's funny. We read these things. That's one reason I think we all love, like, the chosen, because, you know, these people are, man, they're real people, and we can, you know, see see what, you know, it, it would look like with real people instead of just sometimes we read this text over and over, and we're so familiar with it that it kind of loses that zing. But I, I think when Andrew sought out his brother, it wasn't like, well, I know we've been waiting for 4,000 years for the Messiah to come. And, and cool, he's here. And so I'm just going to find my brother. And, and you know, I'll just kind of come over and let's go. Now, are you kidding me, man? I think he was fired up. This old fisherman was cranked. And he went to his brother, and I believe he was passionate. I can just see him. Just, you know, I mean, he, don't mess with big brother, but I'm sure he wanted to shake him. You got to come. This will change your life. It has changed my life. In verse 42, he says, and he brought him to Jesus. Matter of fact, you've probably heard this before, but it's interesting. There are several times in the Bible whenever Andrew's mentioned, what's he doing? He's bringing somebody to Jesus. That is what he did. Uh, as a matter of fact, in John 6, he found the boy with four loaves and two fish. And what did he do? He brought him to Jesus, and they ate good. <laughs> Because he took the boy to the right place. In chapter 12, he takes a bunch of Greek seekers and he brings them to Jesus. You know, we often think of Andrew as being his brother's shadow. You know, when you got big brother and then little old quiet Andrew. And man, he was a powerful man of God because he knew where to bring people. He brought them where they needed to be. Might not have said much, but he did much. He was on mission in bringing people to Christ. It's interesting, the word Andrew means manliness. You know, he is this fisherman, right? You know, kind of like he could probably do one of those, uh, oh, I can't think of now, those body wash commercials that are ridiculous, you know. But uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, he was manly, you know. The, the, the strong, silent type. But he was a man of action. He took people where they needed to go. Um, you know, I love it because there are a lot of Christians, you know, we always say, well, I love to hear the gospel. I love to hear the old, old story. I love to be reminded of how much God loves me. But the difference between just a believer who loves to be reminded of how much God loves me and a disciple is, not only do I want to hear it, I want to share it. I want somebody else to hear that story. All right, that brings me to the last one here, guys, and that is transformation. Back to verse 42 of our text. Then he brought Simon to Jesus and looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated 
is Peter. And of course, that means a stone. He was a chip off the old block or the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. It's interesting uh, because he looks at him and he doesn't just see the man he is at that moment, who is Simon. He gives him another name because he sees who he can become. And I love this truth of the scripture. When God looks at us, he doesn't merely see us as we are at this moment, but he sees who we can become who we can become in Him when our identity is in Jesus Christ, who He means us to be, not merely who we are right now. And I love it because in this text it says that when Jesus looked at Peter, that word means, man, it wasn't just a glance. I mean, His eyes lovingly burned into Peter. It was a gaze. It was intense. And He spoke to him and He said, this is who you are now, but this is who you are going to be. That's how God looks at all of us, guys. That's how his love is passed to us. Um, now, Peter, that didn't mean he had it all together from that moment. We know that. You know, there's the famous, you know, mountaintop experience down to the lowest of lows when Jesus said, you know, who am I? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, man, this was revealed to you um, by God himself. You, you're right on. But then he turned around not long after that when Jesus described what was going to happen to him, the cross that was before him. And what did Jesus say? You remember, get behind me, Satan. Man, God's revealed this to you. Get behind me, Satan. Boy, talk about a fall. Uh, Peter had several of these kind of issues that happened to him. Remember the transfiguration? Quite interesting, the transfiguration. This is from Luke 9. It tells the story, um, starting in verse 33. He says, As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, and listen to this. This, this is what was put in the text. He did not know what he was saying. I love that little note. It's like, Peter, maybe you just need to shut up. You have no idea what you're talking about, man. I love it as the scripture goes on. It, it says, while he was speaking. So Peter's still running his mouth, right? While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I wonder if Peter thought, uh-oh, I better zip it. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid. As they entered the cloud, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Peter, before you want to talk about a camping trip with these guys, listen to what he has to say. And then um, there's Peter in Acts chapter 10 where he's got all these animals presented before him in a vision. And he's told, to, man, to kill and eat. Thank you, Lord, for letting us eat some cool stuff that <laughs> we were restricted from earlier. And Peter looked at this as a 
as a dedicated Jew, and he said, no way, I'm not going to eat that. Come on, Peter, haven't you learned? You just got to trust him. You got to surrender, even when you don't understand what is going on, Peter. Transformation, it takes a lifetime. And you know, I, I share all this about Peter because we're no different. Man, one day I'm doing something and I'm thinking, God, you are lucky to have me in your kingdom because I have done good stuff today. And then the next day, it's like, Lord, please don't zap me because I deserve it. You know, isn't like driving a car like that? It's like, you know, somebody pull out in front of you and <clears throat> I'm trying to get better, okay? I'm, I'm going to confess. Sometimes I just lose it. And I say, that idiot! And Cindy will look at me like, what? You know? And, and so what happens about three days later? I pull out in front of somebody. Ouch! <laughs> Peter, sometimes he got it. Sometimes he missed it. But God was with him through it all. He became a leader of the church. He spoke at Pentecost. 3,000 came to faith in Christ. But did he have it all together? No, he still didn't have it all together. He wrote two New Testament epistles. He was rock solid in his faith. He died crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified right side up like his Lord. He was faithful to the end. And I love 2 Peter 3.18, which is the last verse in his epistles, First and Second Peter. 2 Peter 3.18 he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So Peter, at the end of what he's writing, says, guys, just keep growing. Just keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're not going to be there till you're there. But for now, keep growing. When you do good, thank God for it. When you do bad, run to him to get healed, to be forgiven, and get back in the game. Stay all in. And maybe the way this is most beautifully exemplified is when a Christian faces death. That big, I love how, um, oh, good grief, I hate it when I go brain dead. Anyway, the guy it's called... Uh, Death, the big bully on the block, you know. <laughs> Death can be that way, the big bully on the block, terrorizing people, keeping them up at night, worrying them. But as we learn to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we walk with him, the sign that we're all in is that when we face that big bully on the block, we're not devastated. Timothy Keller, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he died Wednesday. And Focus on the Family had published uh, this piece. Uh, they referred to him as a theological line of our time or something. But I love it because it had a section there I want to read to you as I close this message. Uh, this is written by Paul Batura, who works for Focus on the Family. Paul writes these words. Timothy Keller, the retired pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, died Wednesday. On Wednesday, Michael Keller, one of Tim and Kathy Keller's three sons, shared his father, 
Lord's recent prayer as he lay dying. I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. By home, Redeemer Presbyterian Church's founding pastor and best-selling author wasn't referring to the family's modest New York City apartment on Roosevelt Island, although that's where he died. He was praying about the eternal city and the hope of God's glory and a destination that all believers should look forward to with great anticipation. So be all in. Because Jesus was all in so we could even be all in. Right? Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this day that we celebrate, the Memorial Day, the sacrifice given so we can enjoy freedoms in this country we love. But Father, even that would not be possible if not for your ultimate sacrifice, Lord. That allows us, Father, to be forgiven and to walk in freedom. Thank you for being all in that when it came time to head toward Jerusalem, you were sold out and you resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And Father, I pray this morning, uh, I hope that you, you have spoken. And Father, may we examine our lives. Where are we? May we hear Jesus asking, what do you want? Why are you here? Speak to us, Holy Spirit. And may we respond to you. Maybe that means praying at this altar. Maybe it means coming, sharing something with the church. Maybe it simply means making a decision right where we are this morning. But, Father, may it be to you, whatever the decision may be.